Welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. Hello, hello, hello. So welcome to this latest podcast. And I am delighted to be joined by the wonderful Jodie Mitchell from all over the other side of the world in New Zealand. So welcome, Jodie. Thank you, Paula. Awesome to um, be here and see you again. Oh, I know it's amazing, isn't it, that we've actually been able to meet up a few times. So yeah. you visited England in the summer, in our summer, and then we met up in Chile again at Apamondia. Yeah, so it was fantastic. You were speaking and I was judging in the World Beekeeping Awards. So we've both had a pretty big year. So it's been great. Oh, yeah. But you're right in the middle now of bee season, aren't you? Yeah, we're in the midst of uh, kiwi fruit pollination at the moment and avocados. So uh, the kiwi fruit pollination is a massive one because without the bees here, um, you won't have the kiwi fruit. So um, so we're in the midst of gold at the moment and uh, it's very challenging. Lots of late nights and early mornings and getting the bees all prepared and we sort of make sure that we have honey in our hives when they go in because we don't like to um, we don't like to feed sugar. So um, we do a tiny bit more as a stimulus kind of thing, but uh, we like we like that our hives have natural honey, natural pollen. So although we're commercial beekeepers, um, I like to say that we're holistic beekeepers as far as I think that you can look after the bees and do right by them so they need us we need them and it's a symbiotic relationship so um you know i like my bees to be happy and you know i don't wear gloves i only wear a veil or a hat because of my crazy hair because the bees think it's a giant cobweb uh <laughs> but otherwise you know you know when they're happy and yeah. you know that they're, they're doing their thing so it's great Oh, I just love the more I learn from you, because I mean, I'm only a small, very small scale beekeeper. And yet you're managing to be holistic, to be natural with, I mean, how many colonies do you have now? Um, at one point we were 2000, uh, but we've sort of cut right back. Uh, COVID's sort of been a bit tricky and we've decided that we would rather have a smaller business, look after everything better. We're sort of family only, so um, it's nice just to sort of scale it right back and take it back to really, really enjoying it. Um, you know, I'm super fussy about where my sites are for my bees and like my kiwi fruit guys or any of my orchardists, I've got a rule, you know, I've pollinated, um, I've pollinated orchards. Um, Ralph and I have done that now for 20, 20 years on our own and you know, my guys are great. They'll find me. I've put water out for your bees and, you know, they coordinate and they discuss with me their spray programs and we work out how many days and, you know, when we can try and do it within reason because, you know, there's a few of the sprays that they won't necessarily harm the bees, but the bees don't like the smell of them. So bees are very much into the smell of things because, you know, they can identify um, probably four or five people by face so I love the fact that our bees know that we're their beekeepers, you know, that we belong to them kind of that way around, not so much the other way, that we're theirs. And, um, you know, we want to be old and dottery and still have bees. So 
and our daughter and her husband are working with us and um, hopefully there'll be a next generation um, coming along fairly shortly so it, it, it will be it'll be good but we're trying to look after them well um, because putting hives into pollination can be stressful for everybody um, and and for the hives because you're working in a short period of time with the weather so if we can we want them going in really strong so that when they come out, they may not be going ahead for that sort of week or two that they're in there, but then we'll pull them out and we take them up into the forest. We're lucky we live in the Kaimaimamaku forest. Um, so we can take the bees out, put them onto some lovely native honeys and they chuck out all that extra pollen that they don't like because they know they can get something better locally. So they chuck that out and they can get on to Rewerewa and Tawari and some of our amazing crops that will give them a super boost, really. Oh, that's amazing. So do you move all your colonies to the same place altogether, or do you have several operations? Are you putting sort of 100 hives in one place? And No, you know, um, so we kind of have half of our – we live on a mountain – on a range. So we've got uh, one side – one side is the Waikato, one side's the Bay of Plenty. So we kind of have the hives. And because we're at higher altitude on the Kaimai side, because we're Kaimai Range honey, that's us. Because um, we're on the Kaimais, those ones come on probably a week or so later because it's colder and we're higher altitude. So we kind of work with the climate of what's happening and bringing those hives on. So we know which ones will come first. And so we've got this kind of, you know, we're, we're working out the dates of getting them at the exact size right because you want them big, but you don't want them to be swarming either. So, and that's another thing that we do. Um, we try and work with our hives, so what they want to be doing at the time. So within the whole season, um, in the spring, the hives want to be swarming. They want to be growing and developing. So what we do is that's when we will quite often make our splits. Then we'll use some mated queens and we'll take off the excess bees so that those hives think that they've already swarmed. And then that way we're working with nature, not against it. So throughout the year, everything that we're trying to do is trying to work with that cycle of what do the bees really want to be doing. And then mm. once we get right to the other end of things, after hopefully we've done honey, which uh, this year, this season, we decided not to do honey. It rained so much and the conditions were really not great. So normally we take our hives to Taranaki, which is five to seven hours away um, for our manuka crops and um, our bigger bush crops. But this year the weather wasn't great. So we decided that instead of taking sort of over a thousand hives and putting them onto Manuka down there, we we only took one load down, which was only like 60 hives. And we went, actually, let's not do this. The conditions don't look great. We're going to work all summer. They're going to work all summer. And it's just not going to be great. So we decided nutritionally, let's just, just cut off and go, no, it doesn't matter about the cost of what it is. We'll keep them home and we'll just have to explain to our farmers and our different guys down there that, sorry, you know, it's not going to work. We're not going to have, we're not bringing the bees this year. It's not economical and it's not sustainable when the weather's not right. Just don't do it. 
Mm. So that was, it's like the first summer that we haven't done honey in 20 years. <laughs> so it was a bit strange. Oh yeah. Now people so, always, so, sorry, oh. so going in behind that, we, um, so once we got to the end of the season, then normally we just winter everything down. We winter with, so we like every hive to have a box of honey. So if we do our local bush crops, the hives are big and strong. Only the biggest, strongest ones will go off to do manuka because it's trickier. It's a bit like the bees trying to suck up sort of molasses compared to water. It's it's fixotropic, it's a gel, so it's it's an unusual honey. It's a it's property wise a bit like heather, how it's got that that um fixotropic nature to it. So it's harder work and you need good strong bees to be able to do it. But then after we take that honey off, we leave the hives down there so that they can collect a box of honey with lots of pollen and goodies for themselves. And then we'll winter our hives down from sort of April, May, which is going into our winter, um, late, you know, late autumn going into winter, and then we'll winter them down. We don't open them. We shut them down till August. So we're helping them to go into a semi-hibernation state. And they've got everything they need. And then come August, away they go. So we want nice sustainable hives that'll go, you know, you've got a frame, you've got a beautiful like rainbow of pollen around the top of your brood, honey in your corners. And it's like this hive knows how to look after itself. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I just love, I just love listening to you and what you do with your bees because there's always this, well, there's, there's so much to unpick here. I'll start with the Manuka honey because I it's every time I do a honey tasting or every time I do a safari, somebody will say, so what about Manuka honey? Yeah. So go on, I'll just okay. set you off. Just go. Yeah. Yeah. So Manuka is amazing. Um, it's, you know, I just, it, it's an incredible honey. And New Zealand, you know, in New Zealand, we don't use antibiotics. We don't the only chemicals that we use with our hives is sort of low dose for varroa treatment. And, you know, we'd love not to do that, but we've had varroa now for 20 years. And so a lot of us are actually still using, so we're using some synthetics, but we're also using um, organic treatments becoming really popular, working in that cycle of things. So there's a combination of, um, synthetics and organic but for our standard for New Zealand we would actually be organic for the standard for the rest of the world but New Zealand is way stricter with our organic standards so we don't have antibiotic use at all with our um, with beehives in New Zealand so Manuka honey I think is really special because you know I was fortunate enough to um, to know um, Dr Peter Mullen he was an incredible Incredible man who basically came across Manuka in the first place um, because he was working on different trials of things with different honeys, and this weird random honey kept killing off his killing off bacteria and doing things. And he's like, "What is this stuff? It's annoying." Because he was trying to do other trials, and he came about, and so he named it Unique Manuka Factor because they started doing you know, pollen counts, different things of trying to work out what this honey was to start with. And um, so what it is, is Unique Manuka Factor is, um, is actually a trademark UMF. So 
in New Zealand, we have MGO, which is geomethoglyoxal, and NPA, which is non-peroxide activity. So it's a little bit confusing, but non-peroxide activity and UMF are the same ratings. So it, you might see a 5, a 10, a 15, going up to 20. But the original way of testing it, they had an agar plate that was inoculated with Staph aureus. Then they would measure, they would have like little circles cut out and they would measure how much staph, how much of the honey would kill Staph aureus in a 24-hour period. So that rating would be like, okay, the ring is this big, it's a five, it's this big, it's, you know, and so, and then we were paid on points per antibacterial for the antibacterial property that it was but the honey is amazing because what it does is like all good honeys if you don't pasteurize it you keep it natural you keep it at the hive temperature and not not letting it get higher then you're not killing off the hydrogen peroxide which is in all good raw honeys so there's kind of a possibility you can still have raw honey that is creamed. So we specialize in what I call cold creamed honey, where you're creaming it at 11 degrees. And so as long as you've got it liquid in the first place, and then you can gently cream it the old fashioned 100 year old way is still the best um, without doing any pasteurizing, because it's not really if you've got good hygiene, you don't really have anything that you need to kill off. And mm. the honey is especially with the Manuka, antibacterial, antifungal, it will kill these bugs. So it'll kill MRSA, Staph aureus, a whole bunch of nasty things that are resistant to antibiotics. So that's why it's very important to know that within the food chain that your bees haven't been exposed to antibiotics. So that's where New Zealand is really special because we've decided AFB, we don't use chemicals to treat AFB. If you have American fowl brood, unfortunately, you burn the hive, you burn everything to try and get that out of the system. And unfortunately, a lot of people have jumped on the Manuka bandwagon and um, hive numbers, you know, in New Zealand for uh, decades, there are around 300,000 beehives, 3,000 beekeepers. It got up to a million beehives and 10,000 beekeepers, which isn't sustainable. But I think it's the perception of what you can do. So now it's all cutting right back. And it's those people who are really passionate about what they do, have a real love for bees, and are more those kind of family-orientated businesses that aren't just corporates who are out there to, you know, for the dollar and who are just global companies that are coming in and trying to take over the industry and squeeze out small guys. So, you know, I love I love Manuka. I had issues when I, I had stomach ulcers um, quite a few years ago and the only thing I'd been on medication for years and the only thing that helped me was Manuka honey. And wow. that was when my husband was just starting beekeeping. This is sort of 25 years ago. And, um, you know, I've been drug-free and great, and I have no issues now. So I had quite a unusual health journey as well where, you know, I couldn't drink orange juice, alcohol, milk. I had like seven years of not being able to eat a lot of stuff or I'd just be violently ill. and 
the honeys really helped me. So I swear by it. And I think they need to be doing more trials and working on just just getting the science behind it, really. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So most of the, the manuka is um, from a bush. So it's the, the flower itself. Um, the bees can actually get in. And it's where it's tricky because the bees can actually fly into the flower and fly back out and not get much of a pollen count. Now, New Zealand is tricky with that because most countries you want mainly or wholly whatever the plant is. And they judge this on pollen count, which, you know, should be very high. But we've got plants where you can get a monofloral that can be, you know, down as low as 15%. So in Europe, you'd say, oh, this honey could be adulterated because the pollen count is too low. But our issue is that New Zealand has only had European honeybees for 150 years. Our plants have evolved with bird pollination, with other insects, with bats, with all sorts of other other animals, birds, um, insects. So our pollination is quite different because our plants have evolved totally differently. So they don't fit the standard of a generic world honey. So it's more similar to, we noticed at Apimondia, they were talking about unusual tropical honeys that behave differently. And unfortunately, you know, you can, it, it looks like there's a problem with them, but quite often they're actually the way they should be. They've just evolved differently. So you don't know what you don't know. No. And this is the problem with, with sort of judging or standardizing any food product or particularly any natural food product, because there's, you know, there's thousands of different types of plants and they've all evolved with different bees and different pollinators. Yeah. And then the honeys, I mean, you're not, you're never going to get identical batches even from one crop mm. you know the hives are going to have a, a have a different batch so how do people know that they're buying a real manuka honey because there's okay. all sorts of myths aren't there about how much is adulterated and how much is is real yeah. so i mean generally new zealand would produce probably depends on the season but around 20,000 ton of honey a year and half of that half of that would be good manuka so predominantly we've actually got we produce a lot of manuka um, but we New Zealand has set up a standard so if it's packed in New Zealand and it is New Zealand and it says manuka it's packed here for us to get it out of the country we've got a it's laboratory tested and we have to go through everything to be able to say that it's manuka and export it to be allowed for it to go out of the country. It's got to meet all those standards. So it's very strict. It costs us a lot of money. So just the testing, every time you go through, you're, you know, we can, you can spend easily $1,000 on, on testing of a drum of honey. By the time you test it a couple of times, so, okay, when it's raw, you might test it then, and then you'll test it before you're going to do a pack, depending on whether you're packing it into a smaller amount or, or a bulk lot, and then you'll have your final production testing at the end to go, okay, you know, it, it has all the properties that it needs to have within, within that honey. So really, buy honey that's packed and produced in New Zealand is the, big, is the big one. You know, there's some amazing real manuka. And the other thing is, especially in Europe and in the UK, 
you see labels that say Manuka honey five or ten on the front, but when you read the back of the label, it has EU and non EU honey. Well, that's mm. crazy. We're non EU, so why would you have EU honey in your Manuka? You know, yeah. and and then if you read it, it basically says that it's been cut fifty percent with another honey. Well, that legally it can't happen here. It's not allowed to be exported here. So it's happening in Europe. It's happening in other in other places. The good thing with us too is we don't allow any other honey and bee products into New Zealand. So we're not able to blend with anything else that might be honey from other countries that may be um, aren't so uh don't kind of meet codex or don't kind of meet the standards um for pure honey so you know we don't want things with antibiotics we don't think we want don't want anything that's got um c4 sugars or even worse c3 sugars so you know there's a whole bigger thing there's there's such an industry of people who are trying to scam stuff that it is really hard um, so I think you want the check it out. It's laboratory tested. Look up the company. Find out. Know where you're getting your honey from, um, and and go from there. And what about cost? Because I have people saying, "Oh yeah, I just get manuka honey from wherever a supermarket, and they're paying eight or ten pounds for a jar." And I'm like, "Well, that's a bit too cheap. You know, it should be." Yeah. It's, you know, what is the sort of guidelines? And also people don't understand the different, I mean, you've already explained about UMF yeah. and um, MGO, but, you know, if you're if you're wanting an everyday honey, what should you be looking for if you're wanting mm-hmm. a manuka? Or what if you're looking yeah. for a really good, something to heal stomach ulcers? What are you looking for yeah. there? So, so generally you're, you're kind of everyday manukas. You're looking at that sort of five, five through to the tens is is sort of an everyday general yeah general good good quality honey general tonic honey but once you're getting to that 10 to 15 that's where you've got some some ones that are really starting to be be more medicinal you know they they might be great for you know they're using a lot now orally for even for people who have gum disease and um so the stronger manukas are definitely good. The one um, that I used for my stomach ulcers was actually probably just over a 15, a 15 to 17. And I mean, that that's, that's good. But if you've got like the wound, leg ulcer kind of heavy wounds that really needs healing, then, then you want to be going up into the 18, the 20s once you're getting into there. That kind of stuff is saving people from, you know, in some cases, it's saving people from amputations, you know, from major disease. So wound dress, serious wound dressings and serious um, where people have got horrendous bed sores or they can they can pack those or they're using them for burns. Because what it does is it draws, it, it's amazing, like, it will draw the moisture up or it'll draw the infection out and then it debrides it. So where a traditional antibiotic would actually have, it kind of encapsulates the infection sometimes, it'll isolate it and you end up with this little thing sitting there. But but 
what you can do is with the manuka, you can put it on and it will draw and chuck it out. So initially it's like, oh, this looks a bit gross, but it's actually pulling that gunge out and then it chucks it out and it makes like a little film. So it's a little, a bit like a, I try to think of it like a Gore-Tex kind of thing. It kind of sucks and it doesn't let it back in and it just chucks it out. And wow. so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think wonderful. I've used, I use it on my animals. Fantastic with horses, dogs. Um, my kids, when they were younger, they use it for um, acne. Just a little pot of manuka in the shower and they put it on when they first get into the shower, have the shower, do their stuff and then wash it off at the end and just fantastic for your skin. So, you know, not so many spotty teenagers. <laughs> no, that is brilliant. So, so if you're talking about a 15 UMF, what would that be the equivalent of in an MGO? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, my brain is having a little freeze at the moment. Too much pollination. Um, so, oh, gosh. Yeah, I am having a brain freeze. Because um, we, get, we so, get to see 100, 250, 500 plus. Yeah, yeah. And so once you're getting into... So once you're getting into that sort of, you know, the 250, 500 and going up into there, then that's where it really, your 500s, your 250, your 250 is sort of around that 10. So above that 250 and above, you're looking more into that general um, healing kind of range where it's a little, a little bit more, um, it, it's a little bit more than your standard sort of tonic. But you never want to put it into hot water. You know, I like some people, you know, they like to have it first thing in the morning. And I, I like to say, if you're having your manuka, have it first thing before you eat or drink anything else. Just let it swell around in your mouth and just just basically let it do its thing. And then the same again at night. Um, you don't actually have to worry so much about your teeth. It's, it's a really quite a bizarre one that it's, it's a different kind of sugar and it just, you know, it's, it, it's a whole different beast. So. I think this is the problem with, um, you know, with our, our nutrition for humans and as well with understanding bees, because we're oversimplifying and thinking, Oh, honey is a, a sugar alternative or sugar is a honey alternative. And therefore it's okay to have sugar or, uh, this, you know, to feed the bee sugar or it's bad for your teeth to have honey because it's a sugar. Mm. But, so much more complex than that isn't it yeah definitely and um so you know you can swell it around and it's been fantastic for for your gums and you know sometimes people have got like cracked lips or or dry lips amazing for that along with like dry skin on your heels and everywhere else it's 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 just wonderful for drawing and moisturizing so it's actually really really good but the, the thing is that honey is low GI. So on the glycemic index, if you think that if honey is half of what sugar is, standard standard cane sugar, if it's half, but honey in the first place is twice as sweet as sugar. So in effect, you're actually only getting quarter. So when you're using a recipe, what I do, because I, I don't use sugar, I cook with and use honey for everything. So generally honey is half of what you'd use so if you had a cup of sugar and something you'd only use half a cup 
if you're having in your tea, if you'd have a spoon of honey, uh, sorry, spoon of sugar in your tea, you'd only have half. So in effect, you're only getting quarter of the GI. And we've got some amazing honeys here, which I've got um, rewarewa, tawari, they're my favourites. But quite a few of the honeys in New Zealand, we've got in trials with different things in laboratories at the moment for working out the that they could maybe as um, for people who are diabetic or hyperglycemic because they're not getting that sugar rash off them. So it's just, you know, we've got so much that we've got to try and put into funding for new science. There's things that we know, but then you need to prove these things. So because you yeah. don't want to be making therapeutic claims that can't be backed up. So at the moment I've got... I've got I've got different honey samples in different labs all around the place and um, also trying to work with getting people to better understand that and then also classifying these honeys globally as well. So that's kind of my mission is to get New Zealand honeys, not just Manuka because Manuka is amazing, but we've got some really other special honeys that I think could be phenomenally beneficial and people are, you know, even just hay fever you know if you're having your local honey and you're not having those pollens filtered out you've so in a way you're sort of immunizing yourself with those pollens that are in your area so you know ideally you want to be buying your local honey from your local beekeeper but mm. if you've got something else that's going on and maybe you've got a you've got a cold or a sore throat when that starts to just tingle and tickle attack it get in there with your manuka and your lemon and your vitamin c and one of the things i like to do is with your darker honeys um especially manuka and rewarewa i like to mix them in the winter with a high dose vitamin c so i used to make a pink honey um where i'd put like black currant juice in my honey mix it up and give it to the kids and just try and you know deter those things because what they found was that when you mix a high dose vitamin C with these darker, richer honeys, you were getting a synergistic reaction. So you were upping the antioxidants and it was just making that kind of boost and just helping your immune system much more. You know, I I had my first, I've had my first one lot of antibiotics. I got a chest infection in the UK this year. Um, oh. And that's the first time I have had to have antibiotics in over 10 years. And before I started beekeeping, I used to get sick every year. And I used to have really bad chest infections and I'd, I'd get really quite ill. And now, no, I'm, I'm tough as old boots now. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the amount of work that you're doing to manage, you know, 1,000 beehives this is no mean task, is it? I mean, I'm so honoured that you've found some time to talk to me because I know <laughs> you're doing like 15 hour days and it's hard physical work and, you know, you can't really be thinking of anything else. You know, I find it overwhelming sort of looking after around 30 hives through the summer. And, you know, I'm just yeah. emerging now yeah. thinking, gosh, I have all this spare time now. But yeah, I mean, you really are incredible yeah. with your energy, which just shows the goodness and the healthy lifestyle, yeah. you know, with your yeah. I mean, like Ralph and I are really lucky that, you know, we're an amazing team together and, um, you know, we kind of compensate for each other. So between us, we've got, we've got things covered and the same with Tamara and Daniel with our, 
our daughter and, and our son-in-law. You know, it's it's amazing. They've worked with us now for eight years and we've pretty much given them half the business. So we're trying to develop them into looking after that side of thing as well so they can actively, you know, learn how to do this stuff so it's not just me doing all the paperwork and not just me having to try and beekeep as well as as run what's on the ground because you know we're not a we're not a corporate kind of business where I, I don't have a secretary and I'm in the truck trying to you know keep up with emails and trying to do things so I'm probably not the I'm definitely not the world's best secretary anyway. I'm a far better beekeeper than I am a secretary. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and you've trained many of Britain's top beekeepers as well, haven't you? They've come out and, you know, done their, their time in New Zealand with you. I mean, it's sort of the gold standard as a beekeeper. If you can do um, a season in New Zealand, then you can come back here and you, you've got a whole better understanding of bees. I think I think it's really great to see beekeeping in other places and other climates and looking at how you can do things differently. Like I'm a nutter, you know. I'm I we were out recently, you know, Rapa Nui, Easter Island, doing some beekeeping, playing with bees. I've, I've you know, we've worked with some worked with hives in Scotland and in Cornwall and in Hungary and. Canada and all over the place and you know that's just what I love to do I love to see how people are doing stuff and it's really it's really great when people people are always emailing my like my house is a train station of people coming and going um in the last month I've had four lots of people from the UK and from Canada and from all over who have come out and they come and do some stuff with us with the bees and we talk about what we're doing and that you not, don't need to wear gloves and you can, you know, you just need to get in the right zone of things. And I'm a great one for, I grew up in, um, my family were the first beekeepers in the Kaimai Range where we lived in 1920. And as a child, and so as a child, though, I hated bees. I, I would pass out, I'd, I'd swell up and throw up and pass out. I wasn't anaphylactic. But I would get so stressed out that, you know, my dad would say, just get out of the car and go straight to the house. And I'd be seven year old and I'd be crying. I'm going to get stung. And I would get stung and I'd be the only one who gets stung. And then my uncle, you know, he'd say to me, you know, he was a commercial beekeeper and he would say, you're going to have to stop coming to my house because every time you come to my house, you know, you kill a bee, so you're going to put me out of business. And he thought it was funny. And I get, I was just so traumatised. Oh, um, my God. But then, then we decided, you know, later down the track, you know, the ironies of life, I ended up, um, you know, now I'm the biggest bee nut, but I had to learn that, you know, I say to people, think of your favourite thing. Or think of a word, think of relax or calm or love. Say say a word in your mind and, you know, if you really can't flap, you know, because if you flap around and swat the bees, you scare them, they sting you. So it's mm. them protecting themselves from you. So you want to be, you know, calm and chilled. And so, you know, most of the time we don't even wear our bee suits and we're just, we're just really chilled about it. And it's our fault when we get stung because you might put your finger in the wrong place or, you know, so we brush the bees off the frames, move them out, pick them up, you know, 
you don't need to be squashing bees because when you squash them, you set off alarm pheromones, then they get ranked up and then they recruit their mates of, oh, somebody's hurting me and I need to do this. And it all just turns into a mess. So if you smoke your hives gently, you know, we use pine needles, we keep it natural, we put grass, damp grass on top. So it cools the smoke because you don't, you know, you want your bees. Some people go, oh, smoking is bad, but it's like, no, you have to learn to smoke properly. So you smoke your hive gently. You want your bees to think, okay, there's a fire somewhere. I might something to eat. You know, there's a fire somewhere. I'll get something to eat. I'll just come down and I'll just wait and I'll just see what I need to do. Not, holy shit, my house is on fire. You know, because, and that's the way I try and say to people, you know, think of smoke your hive gently with a cool smoke. You know, it's not, you want your bees to think there's something going on, but not, heck, my house is on fire. We need to all evacuate now. So, mm. you know, it's, it's different ways of just going gently with them. And I say to kids, you know, if you're going to flap around, just put your hands in your pockets. Um, girls, you know, tie, tie your hair up. I wear a beanie a lot of the time because, yeah, the hair's pretty crazy. But otherwise, generally you don't need anything else. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, that is the key thing, isn't it? It's just understanding the bees and realising that, yeah, we can upset them. You know, they're not inanimate beings that we just go and take all the honey from you know you have got to understand they've got a lot going on mm. that they're thinking about and they they've got to work on and then you come in and interrupt that flow so yeah no yeah. I just love so I've learned love so much from you you know from you both with your beekeeping it's it, you know brilliant yeah no that's cool and I think for us like we run a double brood hive so we've got this thing where whatever's in those two boxes you don't touch I don't care how much honey's in there how much other stuff we we put in nice new drawn comb on top you know they draw it out from scratch beautiful white comb no residues no crap nice mm. clean honey and those boxes that are above there then that's fine the bees will put what they need into those bottom two boxes so they will pack that honey honey and pollen mm. around that brood nest and so for winter they'll put down what they need to put down if it's down there it's theirs so that's the way we kind of look at it. So it's that compromise. If we're going above those two boxes, what's above there is excess. Because, mm. you know, they work really hard and they're doing a good job. And some of these flows come in pretty fast and quick and you get a lot of it. So, you know, for us, that's the excess that we can take. They need us. We need them. And, um, yeah. you know, if beekeepers, people forget that without the beekeepers, you know, the the oh, dangerous ground, vegan, but the <laughs> dangerous ground really because, you know, they're more than happy to have almond milk and do this and that and everything, but where does that come from? The bees have to work and pollinate those plants to get them, so you want to do it in the right way. And you yeah. want it to be sustainable and you want to know that those hives, they're going in well, they're coming out well. And a big thing for us is educating people on not spraying, providing good, good conditions for your bees so they can come in well and come back out and that they're not in there for too long so, that so it's not detrimental to them. 
you know, it's it's weighing up. It would be nice if, yeah, you know, I'd have bees in the garden and I don't have to make any money and it's all great. But, you know, this is this is how we make a living and I want to be still doing it till I'm, you know, we have a lot of, we used to have a lot of 90-year-old beekeepers in New Zealand who still have a few hives. My great uncle was one of them. He went to a retirement home in the country and he would only go if he could take four beehives with him. And he basically grew all the veggies and pollinated everything right up until until he passed away in his 90s. So it's like, that's that's the way it should be. You know, yeah, that's a similar relationship. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, so how can people taste or buy your honey then? Because you're in New Zealand, mm -hmm. we're here in the UK, but I do have people listening all over the world. So you've already yeah. mentioned it's primary range honey, but where can we find it? Okay. Um, at the moment, I'm doing it in New Zealand. I'm trying to sort out my website. I'm trying to actually do some good office work occasionally. But um, going forward, we actually are working on bringing honey to the UK, our own honey. My husband's originally from Cornwall, so he's a Cornish lad. And um, so he's had this dream of selling selling our honey in Cornwall. So, um, And we've also got another friend up in Wales who's really interested. So we might... Um, you know, we, we want people who value good honey. I'm mm. not such a fan of the big corporate supermarket kind of model of things. You know, I want people who who are appreciating good food and 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 appreciating where it comes from and the work that goes into it and knowing that it is quality in the first place. So, um yeah, looking at that, I've actually done a few bee talks in the UK and a few other places. Um, I do send honey, um, have been sending honey to Q8 for a few years, so an amazing um, honey shop out there and a, a few other places. But um, going forward, I think we will start doing our our own as well. So I think that's that's the next step. So with the kids coming in, then I'm looking at working more on that. And I've been invited to do some some bee talks around that. I did I did some in the UK oh, two years ago or last last year as well. And they're like, oh, where's the honey? And I'm like, oh, okay. I hadn't. I was just talking about bees. You know, I forgot that I'm supposed to like sell honey and do stuff like that. So yeah, no, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, and I would definitely like to be having some of your honey in my little um, my little hive, so we can yeah. share. The Oh well, Jody, we could and we do talk for hours. I mean, we yeah. were together sort of ten days in in Chile at Apamondia, and we, you know, it was just wonderful. So I just yeah, we really hated losing you guys. We had the best time. Our besties. Oh, <laughs> you are. It's just been wonderful. So I look forward to seeing each other again soon, and we definitely have got to come and visit you. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much, Jodie. And I'm sure this episode is going to be really popular and we'll get loads more questions. Now people have got a bit of information, then it just starts starts rolling. Yeah. But, yeah, thank, thank you, you so me. much. And I mean, thank you. It's it's so good to see you. And, um, you know, we just want to, we have a passion for bees and honey. And, you know, I think it doesn't matter whether you have one hive or, 
you know, a thousand hives, as long as you've got that passion and you're doing it from the right place and you're trying to look after the bees and, you know, just just do it properly. Take it seriously and, and yeah, joke, share the love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on that note, we'll end. So thank you so much for creating a buzz with me today. And, um, yeah. Thank you. If you've enjoyed listening to this, then do share it, write a review, um, you know, let your friends know about the joys of Manuka. So thanks very much. I love that you've been listening to my podcast. Thank you so much. I am delighted to have the wonderful Beebrook helping me with editing and um, producing this podcast. So if you've enjoyed it, do share it around. and connect with me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, and my website. So thank you very much and bye for now. You have to become yourself. Join us next time on Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.